I don't know if, uh, if you've had the chance uh, in your lifetime to, uh, to meet someone famous. I've talked to some of you. I've, I've, uh, I've talked to one of you in here who, uh, who ran into uh, Mr. T. I mean, didn't literally run into him, but uh, had an encounter with Mr. T. I've talked to others of you that have had encounters with famous people, whether it's uh, uh, actors or actresses or famous people in politics, presidents, things like that. And um, I've had a few of those in my life. One of my favorites um, was here in Memphis, uh, goodness gracious, probably 15, 16 years ago. Um, I went downtown at the invitation of, can you believe it, Sandy Wilson took me and uh, one of my friends and then also his, his daughter, Mary Hannah. We went downtown to, uh, to, to listen to Bono, the lead singer for U2, uh, accept an award uh, down uh, at the convention center downtown. So we were down there and watching this. I'm a huge U2 fan, a huge Bono fan, and I'm listening to this great, and then we're getting ready to leave, and we were, we were in the, the upper level of, um, of the convention center. So we're going down the stairwell, and we get to the base to go out to our car, and as we walk into the stairwell at the bottom of the stairs, uh, in on the other side walks in Bono and his wife and a bodyguard. And it's just the four of us standing there, or I guess six of us standing there in an area that wasn't much bigger than this. Um, and I'd like to say that I wasn't just starstruck and I said something really intelligent, but I didn't. I just stood there staring and going, I can't believe I'm here. Of course, Sandy Wilson had something to say uh, to Bono, which is kind. He's always a kind man. He just, he put his arm on his shoulder. Uh, and by the way, Bono is like a short dude. Um, I don't know. And he was, even, he was even short with the platform shoes he was wearing. Yes. Some of you who are short dudes are like, yes. Um, and uh, Sandy puts his arm around him or puts his arm on his shoulder and says, you know, bless you, bless you, um, which horrified Mary, his daughter. It was just like, Dad, that was the dumbest thing you could have possibly said. <laughs> to I didn't care. All I knew was, hey, I had been in a stairwell in Memphis with Bono and his wife, and, uh, and I wanted... I wanted to tell my wife as soon as I got home. I, I wanted her to know about this. And, and again, you'd say, well, that was that a life-changing encounter? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It was certainly a moment where I'm like, this is great. I was this close, this close to him. You know, what we have before us this morning, what we're about to read here, is it's profound. It's profound that we're going to be reading history. What I'm going to read in a few moments here, it's history. This isn't, this isn't a story we're going to read events that actually took place. It's profound that what we're going to be reading is about God entering history. God entering human history. We're going to, we're going to read the events of God entering human history. And then we're going to read or we're going to see in this passage, God himself through Jesus Christ standing face to face with other people just like us. Exactly like us. In fact, if you don't think, if you don't believe these Bible people are like us, just read on and find out more of the dumb things Peter says and does. Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, all of them. They're right there. God himself looking into their eyes. They looking into God's eyes. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Like was here. Looked into our eyes and spoke to us. Follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, by the way, John the Baptist, 
He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ, meaning I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of the disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away, excuse me, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to them, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael, Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to Jesus, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. What an amazing, profound moment or days, several days that we're looking at here in this. John, the Baptist, Peter, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, all their lives 
changed forever, radically different. These four men who are very common, very much like us, very unimpressive. Some of you are impressive. Some of you are not impressive. Very much like us. And their lives are completely radically changed. Not necessarily from this moment, but this is the moment that starts it. And we see fulfilled at the resurrection. And then you watch the trajectory of their lives afterwards and you cannot deny the fact that these men have been radically changed because they've had an encounter with Jesus. In fact, later on in the beginning of the book of Acts, it was said of Peter and John after they had preached a little bit or, or witnessed a little bit uh, at, the, at the temple and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were upset about it. And one thing they couldn't deny Man, these guys are just simple fishermen, but we can tell they've been with Jesus. That's what it says in Acts. How did this happen? What, what took place that we see in this passage that, that transformed these, these ordinary men into men who would eventually die for their Savior, into men who were courageous, who, and men whose mission in life became so compelling and so fantastic that they launched the church of, the, of Jesus Christ. What, what happened to these guys? How does this encounter happen uh, with Jesus happen with anyone? Well, you see on your notes there the three points that we have. And the first thing that I think we see and that we know from Scripture is that it begins with revelation. Notice verse 26. Notice verse 26. John answered. This is answering those who were sent by the Pharisees. I baptize with water, but there's a, among you stands one you do not know. It's interesting. John the Baptist is saying, hey, he's here, and you don't recognize him. Just exactly what the prophets said would happen. Just exactly what John referred to at the very beginning of John chapter 1. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They didn't know him. Among you stands someone you do not know. And then look at verse 31. Verse 31, John confesses, John the Baptist confesses himself. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed. That he might be revealed. You see, brothers, unless God chose to reveal himself, we would have never found God. Our own sin, our own blindness, our own darkness would have never allowed us to find God unless God chose to reveal himself. And God chose to reveal himself through the word, through his written word, but then, as we've learned in the last couple of weeks, ultimately through Christ, who is the word, who is the exegesis of God. And so it begins with revelation, and that revelation begins with, with knowing the word. And notice that John the Baptist, he knows God's word. When he's, when he's challenged by these messengers from the Pharisees, he knows his identity. He understands who he is because he knows God's word. He right away refers to Isaiah 40. He knows, I know my purpose. My purpose here is to be a voice in the wilderness, making straight the way of the Lord. I'm, I'm the one they talked about in the Old Testament. That's my role. It's also fascinating that they come to him and they say, listen, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? At that time, at that time of history, there was a lot of 
anticipation and excitement about the Messiah coming. There was a sense in which everybody was looking and thinking, is this going to... And so they looked at these Old Testament prophecies and they're thinking, well, maybe it's, it's, it's going to be a reappearance of Elijah. It's going to be this great prophet. It's going to be the Messiah. Now, ultimately, those all things, all of those were rolled up into one. But these messengers from the Pharisees are like, John, are you that? Are you the Messiah? Are you, are you the, uh, the prophet? Are you the... the the, the coming of Elijah, and it's great. John's just like, no, 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 no. I'm not any of those things. Just a voice. But he's the voice of God. This is God's word going out. And notice, too, that even John the Baptist doesn't know Christ except that God has to reveal himself to John the Baptist. Because look what it says in verse 33. Verse 33, John the Baptist said, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So even John the Baptist, the prophet of God, it, it, the only way he would have known Jesus is if, if God revealed him to John the Baptist. And so John is knowing God's word, knowing the written word that we have here. He's also listening to the voice of God, knowing his word. It just reminds all of us that knowing Jesus begins with knowing his word. I'm so grateful that I've said this for almost 20 years now, the first time I ever spoke it at Amen. What an astounding thing it is that you all are here at 6.30 in the morning, Bible's open, pens out, writing and studying God's Word. And it became, for me, two decades ago, a great conviction and a great encouragement. You men were encouraging me because you reminded me that I'm never going to know the grace of God. I'm never going to know the, the joy of knowing Jesus if I'm not in His Word. And it's gotten a point in my life when I was young, when I was young, having time with the Lord every morning was something I had to work on to be, to be disciplined in. It was a discipline. Like when I, when I got up, this is when I brought, bought my first programmed coffee maker, when I was realized, Todd, you gotta, you got to make this happen in the morning because this baloney where you're going to do it sometime during the day, spend time with God, just doesn't happen. You're going to have to plan it. Everything you've ever done in your life, Todd, that has any value, you've planned. So, I, you know, it was a discipline when I was, when I was in my 30s. I had to figure out what, what's the schedule, what's the, what are the... What are the impediments? I'm going to tell you now at this point in my life, I'm not, I'm not disciplined. That's not the reason I get up every morning and spend time with God. I'm desperate. At this point in my life, I just got to have it. <laughs> I just learned that, that, that knowing Jesus means knowing his word. But it's not just about knowing the word, you see, the word has to also be proclaimed. And that's what John the Baptist does. He knows God's word, but he proclaims God's word. So the, the way that lives are changed is not just uh, that the word exists, but that the word is also proclaimed. Twice we see in this passage that John the Baptist proclaims the truth about God. Verse 29, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 36, behold, the Lamb of God. He's proclaiming his word. It's, so, it's just so awesome that God has given us this word that's living and active. Because as he promised, 
in the Old Testament, his word doesn't come back void. God promised that every time his word is read, spoken, spoken, preached on, taught on, it doesn't, it does what its purpose intends. God completes what he wants to complete through his word. I am both humbled and encouraged as a Bible teacher and a, and a pastor by that truth. I'm humbled by the reality that it's not the other stuff I say this morning that's really going to, to impact lives. What matters most, the only thing that truly matters is what we did a little bit ago, and that's when I read God's word and we all follow along. And certainly it helps to, to have it unpacked and understand, but the, the power in it is that God's word is, is delivered to God's people, that it's, that it's proclaimed. That is humbling because, you know, you're like, well, it doesn't, doesn't matter ultimately how good a speaker you are. It's also wonderful because it doesn't matter how good a speaker you are. <laughs> Believe me, there's times when any of us who are Bible teachers in here or any of us who've ever uh, uh, preached from a pulpit, you walk out and you just think in your head, boy, that was an absolute disaster. <laughs> that was a mess. That was terrible. And then a week later, <laughs> somebody will say, man, that word from the Lord last Sunday, man, it just, it just hit me. And I want to say, I often want to go, how? <laughs> it was such a terrible sermon. But I don't do that. That would be, that would be bad in that moment. But I, just in my head, I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And it's an encouragement to all of us. Listen, anytime, I, I know, I don't, some of you have, who have littles in the home, you know you need to have you need to have family devotions. That's important that you, uh, as the dad in the home, need to lead out uh, in, in that uh, discipline. Um, and, if, and if you've tried it, you realize it's, it's just a zoo, right? It, like, it doesn't seem like it has any hope of any impact at all. Um, when people would ask us about, you know, oh, Todd, you guys do family devotions? I'm like, I mean, you can call it that, I guess. Like, <laughs> it's, it just, it, it feels harder than even doing dinner, you know? It's just... It's all over the place. And, uh, you know, trying to grab kids and paying pay attention. And, God, does this even, even matter? It does matter. It does matter. Because God's word never returns void. In fact, I was just talking to a young man last night uh, doing premarital counseling, talking about, um, uh, talking with he and his fiance um, through some premarital counseling stuff. One of the questions I asked them is, what is... What is uh, one or two things that your parents have done that you really admire that you want to bring into your, into your marriage? And last night, this young man said, you know, my dad, my dad, after dinner, would make us, would open up his Bible and two or three times a week, make us sit there while he, he uh, had, we had family devotions. He said, honestly, I, 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 I couldn't really remember at the time, you know, anything, but and as I got older, I thought, okay, yeah, I remember that word. I remember that word. I remember that verse. I remember that. And he said, I want to make sure that happens in my family too. Um, by the way, it just hit me right now. I need to tell that kid, you need to tell your dad that you said that. <laughs> he needs to know that the, the disaster that was his family devotion time actually had an impact. Um, he needs to know that. Proclaiming the word. What about you, brothers? 
Are you desperate for the revelation of God through his word? What about you? Are you desperate for that? It seems like you are because you're here at 6.30. Stay hungry for that. Secondly, we see that this leads to transformation. It begins with revelation, and revelation leads to transformation. What a powerful question um, Jesus asks these two, Andrew and Who's the other guy with him? John. What, what a, it's probably John, the one who's writing this, uh, writing this gospel. Jesus turns to them, verse 38, and says, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? We could have done, in fact, I thought for a little while, we're going to just do the whole thing on that. <laughs> what are you seeking? What a powerful question coming from Jesus. What are you seeking? Powerful question, and then, I, don't, I can't figure out why they answered the way they did. They didn't answer at all. They asked a question that seems dumb. They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? And I'm like, what, 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 how is that the answer? I figure, I figure it's probably one of two things. Either, either they're thinking, well, uh, we want to follow him and we, we want to be with him, so what are we seeking? We're seeking to go where you are. Maybe that's the, the nice thing. Or maybe it's like they're just avoiding the question. <laughs> you ever done that? Somebody asks you kind of a deep question, and you just change the subject with a different question? Man, how's it going, you know, how, how's it going with, uh, you know, your spiritual life? Did, uh, hey, what, how about that? What was that? How, did you go to the game the other day? You know, you just, you just move on. You're like, I don't want to talk deep. Maybe it's that. Maybe that's what the, what's going on here. Very weird response, but what a fantastic day for these two. Do you notice that? Jesus asked this powerful question, what are you seeking? They answer with <laughs> a really, I don't know, could you say it's dumb? I don't even know what it is. Where are you staying, Jesus? Where do you live? And Jesus is like, well, I, I live over here. <laughs> and so they go with him, and they spend the day with him, says that. They spend the whole day with him. And clearly, they're transformed or they're beginning to be transformed as a result of this day. It's not complete until the resurrection, but it started with this day that they spent with Jesus. Wherever he was staying, they went with him and they stayed with him and there they were. How did that happen? How do we go from from this moment when they're just standing there with John the Baptist. And so John the Apostle and Andrew are just standing there. John the Baptist points to Jesus. And then the next thing you know, Jesus asks this profound question. They respond with a silly answer or silly question. Jesus says, come on, come to play where I'm staying, spend the day with me. And then out of that comes everything you see in their lives afterwards. How did that happen? Well, happened first of all with their ears being opened their ears being opened they didn't have open ears they didn't do this God did this God did this look at what it says in verse 37 they heard him say they heard John the Baptist say behold the Lamb of God and then they followed Jesus so their ears are open. They heard. They responded. But we know this never happens without God doing it. 
doesn't happen without God doing it. I bet, I bet a lot of us in here have a testimony that we grew up in church. But there was a certain point where you're like, it clicked. Why did it click? Did you become smart, smarter all of a sudden then? No. It clicked because God opened your ears. Same thing happened to me. Grew up in a Christian home. Grew up in, a, in, the, in the church. Went to vacation Bible school, all that. 16, it clicked. Why did it click? Did I become smart at 16? Did my, did my mind reach a, you know, the, the ability to grasp theological stuff? You no, know, if you'd known me at 16, you're like, no, I think his mind regressed at that, you know. What happened? God opened my ears. God's the one that does it. That's why that verse there on your, on your notes to remind us, and there's several of these throughout Scripture, that, that, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead, and God made us alive. We were blind, and God opened our eyes. Blind people can't open their own eyes, can't heal themselves. Dead people can't respond. It's only God who, who does that, who brings us alive. It's only God who opens our ears. And that's, that's what happened. That message was being proclaimed. And at that moment, God opened their ears to be able to receive it. And they heard. And I know a lot of you guys remember that moment for you. When all of a sudden, what, what maybe you had heard for years, all of a sudden you heard it. You heard it. Because God opened your ears. And then hearts are changed. Hearts are changed because it says that they followed. So there was a response. They heard it. They heard the message. And, and then their hearts are changed. They followed him. And they didn't just follow him to, to his house that day. They followed him. The rest of his ministry, they followed him. Their lives, they followed him to death. Some of you remember uh, Rocky Anthony. He used to be a pastor here a long time ago. He was the guy that actually brought me uh, to Memphis. And I remember when we used to have Sunday night worship service in here, and a lot of times Rocky would be preaching. And several times Rocky said this. It had a profound impact on me. He would say, hey, you say you're a follower of Jesus. You say you're following Jesus, that that's what it means to be a Christian, following Jesus. And he says, well, where's Jesus going? He's going to a cross. Jesus is going to a cross. These men had to follow Jesus to that, and they did. Their hearts were so changed that most of these apostles, most of these disciples, they followed Jesus to the point of losing their own lives. They followed him all the way to that. Something happened. Their hearts were changed. You see it even in the couple of these men mentioned, Nathaniel, obviously, he's got some prejudice against Nazareth, huh? I mean, can anything good come out of Nazareth? How could we, you know, the Messiah can't come out of Nazareth, that's for sure. Not that part. And then boom, meets Jesus, his ears are opened, his heart's changed, and he said, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. And Peter, Obviously, Peter was transformed. Peter's heart was changed. Because we see all throughout the Gospels, this guy who's 
really self-centered, who's really braggadocious, who's, who's often a coward, who's clumsy. And then after the resurrection, you see someone who is completely transformed and continues to be transformed. That great sermon at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, taught by Peter, of all people, the guy that put his foot in his mouth every time he spoke in the Gospels. Now all of a sudden he's eloquent. God's changing his, has changed his heart, is changing his heart, even to the point that we know from, from history, from oral history, that, that Peter was crucified. That's how he died. And that at his death, he requested that he be crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way that my Lord was. That's a changed heart, brothers. That's a changed heart. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a lot of people in this city. There may even be someone in this room who knows about Jesus. But do you know Jesus? Has he, has he changed your heart? Because you know this, right? We, our hearts, like we need a new heart. Like we need God to, to do something with our hearts. Remember, remember my, uh, my professor, my Bible professor, New Testament professor, Dr. Henry Krabendam, that great big giant Dutch man, would always say to us, you tell the little children, give Jesus your heart. Give Jesus your heart, little children. And I say, yes, give Jesus your heart so he can crush it <laughs> and give you a new heart. It's exactly what it says in Ezekiel. He will take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Your ears are opened. Your heart is changed. Brothers, have you been transformed by this Jesus of the Bible? Have you been transformed by this Jesus of the Bible? Last thing we see as a result of this transformation is that it compels an invitation. It compels an invitation. Look at Andrew and Philip's response. They just had to tell someone. They just had to tell someone. They get done spending the day with Jesus and, and, and Andrew's like, I gotta find my brother. I gotta find him. Philip gets converted and he's like, I, I gotta go, I gotta go find, uh, I gotta go find uh, Nathaniel. I gotta go talk to him. So after my little stairwell moment with Bono, do you think that I went home, drove home, and was just like, that was a, just a special moment? Just me and Bono. It's just great. I'm just going to keep it to myself as a special, just, it's just for me. Don't want to push it on anyone else? No, I've told that story as much as I possibly can. I got home, it's the first thing I said. Lynn was like, well, how was it? What do you speak about? Forget that. Let me tell you about the stairwell. <laughs> Let me tell you about that. You know, I'm telling my kids. Two of them don't even care, right? Two of them don't even like YouTube. I'm like, you sit down and listen to this, you know? I think Ellie, you know, Ellie was, <laughs> Ellie was like 10, you know? And I'm like, you got, this is, it was amazing, you know? And she's like, great. Dad's being weird. Of course I'm going to tell that story. Of course I'm going to tell about it. 
I want to tell someone. Those of you that love golf, you have that one moment, the encounter, the encounter with the hole-in-one, the great unicorn. You don't walk off the golf course going, as a special moment, just me and that one par three. Just going to keep it for myself. Just always hold it. I don't want to force that on anybody else. Oh my goodness, you're looking for every possible way to insert that in, you know? People aren't even talking about golf, and you're like, hey, does anybody here play golf? You just want to change the subject to golf. So somebody says, well, do you? Well, yeah. I mean, you're just looking away for a way to change the subject, get it moved on. That's what these guys were doing, right? They, they just... They encounter Jesus, and they're like, I, I got I to gotta talk about this. So what do they do? What are we supposed to do? Two things. We, we go to others. We go to Andrew and Philip, it says, they, they went and found. So it wasn't like Andrew's there and, and, and uh, you know, Peter. It doesn't say Andrew's just chilling, thinking about how great the day was with Jesus. And, oh, and then, and then Peter showed up. And, and then Andrew's like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about this. That's not what happened. That's not what happened in the, in the passage. It says Andrew went and found him. <laughs> he went. Same thing with Philip. Philip's just not sitting there. And then, uh, and then Nathaniel comes by. Man, how was your day, Philip? Anything unusual happened today? And Philip's like, oh, yeah, this, gee, that's not what happened. It says that Philip... Went and found Nathaniel. He went after him. He, he went to others. And that's, brothers, that's the challenge. That's the, that's, the, that's the great commission. Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. It's interesting to note that, the, uh, that, that, that it's not Jesus commanding us to go. It's actually Jesus commanding us to make disciples. That in that sentence... In the original language, the go is assumed. It's assumed we would be going. The command is to make disciples. It's assumed that we would be going. It's assumed that we would encounter in Jesus, we're going to go to others. And praise the Lord that same, someone came and found Todd Erickson. <laughs> someone came and found me. Praise the Lord someone came and found you. Somebody went and found you. They heard Jesus. They had an encounter with Jesus, and they thought, you might, for me, my father, my son Todd needs to know Jesus. For those of you, it was a friend. And they're like, my friend, my friend John needs to know Jesus. Praise the Lord, someone found us and told us. And then when you get there, show them Christ. Show them Christ. Look at Andrew. What does Andrew do? He finds Peter. He proclaims the word. <laughs> and then he says he, it says he brought him to Jesus. He's like, okay, okay right here, I'm telling you, come on. I just want to show you this guy. I want to bring you, I don't, I, let's not talk about the philosophy. Let's not talk about his teaching. Let's talk about him. Same thing with Andrew. That great uh, excuse me, uh, same thing with Philip, that great verse, verse 46. Philip said to Nathanael, 
Come and see. Come and see. You know, we're not offering our friends, we're not offering our friends a belief system. We're not offering our friends a religion. We're not offering our friends a better way to do life. We're offering them Jesus. I have a good friend here in this city who doesn't know Christ. He is a He's a dear friend, and I have been proclaiming the word and going to him, and it hasn't happened yet, but I think it will. Pray all the time for God to open his ears. He's sat and listened to me preach sermons. I let him know when I'm preaching because he's like, oh, I'll, I'll come. I'm always amazed that he doesn't pick up anything. Except that I know that it's God that opens ears, God that changes hearts. And so I'm praying. But I keep telling him. We keep talking about it. I think I shared with you at one point over a, over a beer at, the, at Bosco's, I just said to him, I said, hey man, we've been friends for a long time. You know what I do for a living. You know what I'm about. Do you just think I'm a nutcase? Like, my whole life revolves around Jesus. Do you just think I'm crazy and you're just being nice to me? I was hoping maybe that would be the moment God would open his ears. And no, he just said, no, Todd, I don't think you're crazy. I think I believe in God, but I'm also a scientist and I don't know how to put those together. I'm like, okay. Hey, man, read this book. But you know what? Even as I gave him that book, I know the book isn't going to change his life. I know I can't reason him into the kingdom. I know that what matters is that God would open his ears and God would change his heart. And that's what I'm praying for. I want him to encounter Jesus, not a philosophy that shows him how science and a belief in God goes together. Because I'm not offering him that. I'm offering him, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. You in this room, those of you in here who have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, I know a lot of you have, maybe all of you. If you're in here and you've had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, One, just thank him. Spend this day doing two things. First of all, just saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you that somebody, that you sent somebody to me. Thank you that they they proclaimed the word. Thank you that you revealed yourself. Thank you that you opened my ears. Thank you that you changed my heart. Just be grateful. Just be thankful. And the second thing, go tell someone this week. Even if you're, even if your encounter was 50 years ago. Find someone and say, hey, either, hey, I haven't talked about this in a long time. Can we, I just want to share it again. I've been thinking about it this week. Or maybe you've never said anything to them and say, hey, we've been friends for a long time. And I don't think I've ever told you this, but I've been thinking about it this week. I just want to tell you, 
Be thankful. Tell someone. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty and the truth of your word. Thank you, thank you that you saved us. Thank you that you were our Savior. Thank you that you sent someone to us. Thank you that that person had the courage and the desire and the passion to want us to know Jesus. Thank you, Father, for opening our ears to hear that, that moment that we heard the word of God and it was different because you had opened our ears. You had taken the blinder off of our eyes. Thank you, Father, for taking our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh and transforming us. Thank you, Father, that you are continuing to transform us, that you're continuing to shape us. Thank you, Father, that you promised that this work that you started, whether it was last week or 50 years ago, this work that you started in us, that you will carry it to completion, that it's not up to us, that you'll do it. Thank you. Thank you that you have paid the price for our sins, that you have forgiven us, that you have clothed us in your righteousness, that you have freed us from guilt and shame and, and given us a, a new song, a new way to look at life that, that, is, that is covered, that is, that is just overshadowed with peace and joy. Thank you. And Father, may our hearts swell with gratitude and in that gratitude, may we just want to tell someone. Lord, we pray all this in your son's name and all God's people said, amen.